broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Wednesday. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Um, talking about the Raiders, their draft, uh, the new secondary, adding Casey Hayward, uh, who they signed yesterday, releasing Jeff Heath, um, what they, who they officially released today. Uh, it's a new-looking secondary. Uh, there's more depth, I believe. Uh, obviously, you've got a rookie, Trevon Morg, who's going to start at free safety, Jonathan Abram at, uh, at uh, strong safety. Either Casey Hayward or Damon Arnett starts at that outside position. One of those two, you would think, uh, would move to the slot, whoever uh, doesn't claim that outside uh, corner position. Uh, and Trayvon Mullen uh, is is the starting safety or cornerback on the other side. And there's some uh, depth pieces now and some players that uh, they're going to be counting on, uh, whether they're veterans or younger players, uh, to really provide some solid relief. So they've addressed the secondary Um in a major way in some cases, subtly in others. Uh, but I do believe when you look at this uh, safety po- or this uh, se- secondary population with new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley, with new uh, uh, secondary coach Ron Milas, I think the production is going to be elevated. And I think especially playing behind what you would think would be a better defensive line. Uh, we'll see. It all has to happen on the field. Uh, but we're going to bring in uh, our, our good friend Eric Allen, a former cornerback uh, great in the NFL. Uh, he did a great job this past weekend uh, with Lincoln Kennedy uh, and, and JT the Brick breaking down the draft, leading you up to the draft, talking about the draft afterwards uh, each night. They did tremendous work. And, and Eric, first of all, uh, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. I hope you uh, recovered uh, from what was really <laughs> a, a very busy weekend. Yeah, for sure. Great to be with you. And it's a nonstop, right, after that draft. You're talking about uh, post-draft stuff and how it all kind of ties in to the upcoming season. So, yes, this is the off-season, but it's really no off-season for guys like us, right? That's right. Quote-unquote off-season. Uh, there's no such thing. Not in the NFL. They, they do a good job of making this thing 24-7 uh, across the board in 12 months out of the year, which we all like because uh, it, it keeps people like us involved and employed and everything else. And who doesn't yeah. want to be talking about football uh, year-round? I know I do. Um, all right, real quick, let's go back to Friday night. Um, and the Raiders have the 48th pick overall. Uh, they, they got their right tackle in Alex Leatherwood uh, in the first round. And I think everybody's presuming and thinking they've got to go free safety uh, with that 48th pick. Uh, coming yeah. into this draft, I think the, the names that we all kind of believed or speculated would, would be there at 48, Richie Grant from the University of Central Florida, um, Javon Holland from the University of Oregon. But lo and behold, boom, <laughs> those two guys come off the board. So I'm trying to sit with you, Eric Allen, as you're watching that unfold. What's going through your mind as far as, oh, boy, Trevon Morg is still there, but he might not be there long. The Raiders probably got to do something right here to make sure they get their guy, especially after the other two went off the board. Are you starting to think along those lines as you're watching the draft unfold early in that second round? Yes. I, I thought that was uh, essential and critical, uh, and I'm pretty sure the temperature in the room went up once those uh, two other safeties went off the board. And <clears throat> when we're talking about looking at how those players – uh, graded out, you know, there's a couple things you need to look at, or at least 
I, I look at is I look at the overall grade that uh, the players receive from, you know, all of the Bach people. And, and so, but again, looking deeper, you have to look at how those players fit in your system, in your town, on your football team. And I think the number one thing, and, you know, Richie, I thought, uh, looked great, and Javon was more of actually like a, when you watched his film, he, I mean, he spent a tremendous amount of time in the slot, one-on-one. So, I mean, safety, yes, but I just think that was because he didn't play a lot on the corner. And so I was surprised when he went, but then you're thinking, man, those two guys are gone. So the temperature in the room is going up. You know they have to be focused on someone who I think is going to compliment Jonathan. And Richie basically does the same thing as Jonathan. He's all over the football field. He plays in the box. He blitzes. He plays in the post at times. Only one safety, I thought, was a traditional post-free safety, and that was Trayvon. So it was critical and important that you – go up and get him once those safeties are going off the board because I think he can immediately come in and start and he complements what Gus Bradley wants to do and Ron Midas, the DB coach, has had several safeties that played his style with great range. I mean, 6'2", over 200 pounds, so there's no issue with all the measurables. I think also what helps him um, with that transition is that he played in the Big 12, and he, <laughs> they throw the ball all the time. They're, they're throwing the ball right now, probably. So yeah, I think all exactly. those factors went into going after him and being aggressive. You can follow him uh, at Eric Allen 619 and anyone from California knows what that 619 represents, uh, San Diego, <laughs> one of my favorite places on, on the face of, of the earth, uh, without question. Yeah. Um, okay, so, and ironically enough, you know, uh, Trevon was the one guy in all of my mocks. I never even thought that the Raiders would have access to him, especially because, unless they drafted him in the 17th, with the 17th pick, which I thought, mm, that might be a little bit too high for a safety. Yeah. So, so, whatever mock I did, I did it presuming that he wouldn't be there. And so, right. ironically enough, he's the guy that they got, even though, like you said, he was probably the best fit regardless of, you know, of, of any of those safeties. It just was kind of almost outlandish to think that they were even going to have, have uh, a chance to get them. But they did get yeah. them. And you touched on a couple of things that I really uh, – and I'm glad you touched on them. Number one, um, what it means for Jonathan Abram. And I'm hoping that you can kind of explain that from your point of view, why that's going to help him and kind of free him up to do what he does best and maybe cover up some of the things – that he doesn't uh, uh, do as well. And secondly, Ron Miles. Uh, you know, the, the, the day that the Raiders hired Gus Bradley, or that kind of became official, I got, a, I got texts from a bunch of people in the NFL going, keep an eye on Ron Miles. He's going to bring him with him, and he's going to make a, a huge difference for the Raiders. You mentioned Ron Miles, and there's just like renounced uh, respect for this guy. He's almost like a secondary whisperer. He just, wherever he goes he creates high-caliber secondary players. And if you could just touch on him as well and the impact that he's going to have with these young kids. Yeah, that's really important. And I I think a lot of us kind of who had our ears to the ground when Gus was hired, 
that's the one thing we were thinking about was, man, is he going to bring Ron with him? Is he going to bring Ron with him? Because secondary-wise, the Raiders have struggled. And he's the kind of guy who can come in and kind of, especially with an off-season where he's able to kind of look at the film, figure out how these guys can really mature and get better in his system. And he has a proven track record of doing that, of having guys who come in as free agents, uh, younger players. And it's a couple things that go on here. First, as a player, you have to be willing uh, to modify. You have to be willing to be versatile enough to say, hey, I do this really well, uh, but if I watch film and figure out a way to make myself better and help this team become a better uh, defensive unit. And you have to, it first comes with the player. You have to be accepting of that critique, of that uh, just really bare bones, dress you down, here's what we need you to do, and we've watched your film. You can do it. You just have to be more consistent at doing that. And here's how you do it. And then it's up to the player. So, yes, Ron gets a lot of credit, but we have to credit a lot of those players, whether it's Desmond King, whether, you know, whether it's uh, all those players at the Chargers and wherever Ron has been, those players have to accept that. And that's the one thing that I think sometimes we miss. We, you know, perfect example is Coach Cable, Tom Cable, one of the best coaches in all the football. Tom can draw the stuff on the board, he can break you down, but it takes the player to be able to receive that information, fix it, and then show that you have fixed it on film and practice so we can trust you as a player to be able to take all this information, these changes, these adaptions to your game, and apply them to the game. And that's the first thing. So Ron's a great teacher. He was a lot like... I had a coach, Willie Shaw, uh, who spent a year with the Raiders in 1998. And look, short story, but so I'm begging to be traded uh, from the um, Saints. And wasn't a very good team, and, and the Raiders had struggled the year before. And so I just took the visit just because Willie was here. So I get here, and Willie kind of you know, breaks it all down. And I have coach, he was my coach at college. And I just, I loved him. And he said, here's what we're trying to do, Eric. We're trying to rework this secondary. We're going to get the guy from Michigan, who eventually is Charles Woodson. And here's how we're going to work it. And I just had a belief. And you understand, he understands the game. He's going to have certain principles that everyone needs to buy by. We're going to be productive. And you know what? I came in and we were productive. We went from 30th to, you know, we're up in the top 10. And we had tons of turnovers. So those things work. But it takes the players to be able to accept, you know, that responsibility of changing. And hopefully we have those players who can do it. Well, um, Willie Shaw, one of the greats to ever do uh, to, to do it. I'm <laughs> glad, um, you know, he, he deserves a lot of respect and he kind of gets lost sometimes yeah. in the history of things. Um, but he was as good as they come. And, you know, I covered hoops basketball uh, for a lot of years in Los Angeles. And I don't know if you remember a player by the name of Michael Olawakande. He was the first player picked um, by the Clippers. And the Clippers hired uh-huh. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And this is what you're talking about with the accepting of learning. And mm-hmm. Michael Olawakande had, he was a great athlete, um, had good footwork, and they bring in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to help him along because he was raw. And Kareem would say, this dude could be a tremendous guy with the skyhook. Like he was trying to teach the kid 
the skyhook. <laughs> well, what happened? He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to listen. Yeah. So he was like, and Kareem yeah. was frustrated. He was like, why wouldn't you, you know, and, and everyone was like, why would, and it's just mind-boggling, but that does happen, yeah. Eric. There are cases, plenty of them, where kids, guys, young players just don't want to, no, I'll do it my way, and it's to their right. detriment. And so I'm hopeful with you that this young Raider secondary is going to take to that teaching because if you don't take to that teaching, you're just short-circuiting yourself because Ron Miles is as yeah, good I, as it gets. For sure. It's just my, and yeah, it comes down to accountability, right? And, and I think the last past drafts that the Raiders have been having, I think that is a, a big point of drafting guys who are accountable, who are leaders, and hopefully who are willing to adapt. And I think that's going to be the big thing going forward. And then your other question, you know, about Jonathan, I'm not sure how much time we have, but, you know, this offseason, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, breaking things down and looking over games. And, you know, Jonathan just continues to just jump off the screen. And he just, he has so much explosiveness, and he's such a big-time momentum changer and you can tell the passion and the want is all there. What's going to happen with Gus and hopefully uh, with Trevon is you want to define the roles. So when I get into the meetings, I'm not thinking about on first down, you know, I'm in the post and on second down, I'm in the middle of the field. And then on third down, I may have to, you know, uh, have a, a blitz, blitz package. Yes, he's capable of doing that. But the amount of film work that it takes to be squared up on all that is extremely difficult. And I get and I get it. You know, I mean, guys are, you know, that's what it's about. You know, you have to get over those difficult times. But if you're able to define the roles, it makes you a better player. It simplifies the game. Now, I'm not talking about all we're going to do is cover three. I'm not talking about that simplification. But right. I'm talking about your week going through practice is simplified. You know, okay, Monday I'm here. I'm studying film on this guy. On Tuesdays, a day off, I can come in and watch some film on the same guy. I'm talking about the middle of the football field. You know, I can look at the tight end's release. I can worry about the quarterback and where, you know, his boot action is and how I'm going to flow and what kind of things I'm going to look at. So it really defines what you're studying, what you're looking at on film, and you're not all over the place. And that's going to help everyone really uh, play better and faster. Such an excellent point. By the way, I never realized Willie Shaw went to Lincoln High in San Diego. Yes. <laughs> He's from the High. That's right. Wow. Along with and Marcus you went to Point Loma, right? Yeah, I went to the Point. So, um, J.J. Stokes. Uh, yes. yes. Bar, uh Glover. Um, so, it, it's a small community, but, you know, everyone knows Lincoln because they just put out a ton of superstars. Uh, um Lincoln did Marcus Allen, North, Marcus Allen, right? Or no, wait, rivals. Marcus went. Uh, where did Marcus go? Marcus went to Lincoln. All he the did Allen go to boys Lincoln. went to Lincoln, you know, and the Hornets and the the. Uh, so that was the neighborhood school. I grew up probably, uh, probably six blocks from Lincoln. But at the time, I got bused out to Point Loma High School. Okay. And years later, Lincoln had closed, and so you see a lot of the other outlying schools really get good but Lincoln has since opened up and um so they're they're back at it winning again and, and doing matter of fact uh David Dunn the receiver for the Raiders he's the head coach at Lincoln High School 
Aha. That's right. That's right. See, you know, I, I worked for years in Los Angeles, and we think we're all that uh, up on the northern part from you guys. But seriously, yeah. there's some tremendous football history and basketball history, without question, yeah. basketball history as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, from San Diego, and so when it comes to Southern California, it's all love between all of us. Anyway, we we, we <laughs> may squabble a little bit. Play against each other. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that happens in the state playoffs. Uh, you'll 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 see uh, each other, especially uh, in basketball. Before we let you go, Eric, and uh, thank you so much for the time. I got to ask you about the signing of Casey Hayward. What that's going to mean um, overall in the whole scheme of things, but even more than that, specifically, uh, could could he or Damon Arnett, do you think? Uh, could they be interchangeable a little bit uh, with one guy playing the outside and one guy moving to the slot? And who, who do you think is better suited to move into that slot position? Because no more LaMarcus uh, Joiner, so they, they do have to fill that hole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and again, I think this is something that uh, Raider fans are really curious about and, and want to know. Casey is you know, a really solid, um, he's been to the Pro Bowl a couple times, has really had a outstanding record as far as uh, you know, pass against and completions and stuff like that. He's really been at the top of his game and uh, so we're happy to have him. So that, what's going to mean is that meeting room, that unit room, the defensive backfield is going to be tighter now because now you have Ron who's going to be able to give those directions and Case is going to be able to kind of echo that. You know, he's going to be able to say, yeah, this does work because when we were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, and I was outside leverage, you know, I always knew that, you know, the guy in the post was going to be able to make a play. So this does work. So he's going to be able to echo those things similar to myself and Willie coming over in 98 and kind of just making sure that message that the coach was saying wasn't falling on rookie ears or young ears. It was being echoed by myself, by uh, Anthony Newman, who came along uh, with me, and some older guys. So now the young guys can kind of get a head start. So that's really going to be a really solid connection there. And this, as far as on the football field, I think Damon's going to really have to show his stuff. He's going to really have to be a professional to see more than just third down. Uh, because Casey's going to come in. He's already a extremely polished veteran. I think he slides over into that starting role. And he really forces Damon to become a pro, to really – find his kind of groove and uh, I think he'll probably come in on third down. He may come on third down early or passing down situations and play the outside. And I think Casey will probably go to the middle of the football field because he's more experienced and he kind of understands leverage and stuff right now. So if it was my bet, I think uh, you know, first down and starting, uh, I think you have Casey and uh, Damon will come in on third down and play the outside, and then, of course, uh, Mullen will continue kind of his, his rise. I thought early in the year he played terrific football, and then later in the year, I think when film kind of got out, he didn't really take that next step. Yep, absolutely, and, uh, and all of that, it's, it's really going to be fascinating to watch this secondary. Eric, I could talk yeah. to you uh, for, for, for hours. I wish we had more time. By the way, the next time I run into you, uh, I want to talk to you about I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, one of my former classmates at Ventura High School, Eric Turner, um, he was the pride yeah. of Ventura High School, one of the greats to ever do this. And I know that you were his teammate 
uh, with the Raiders for at least a couple of years. And when you when you mentioned Willie and you yourself coming over uh, to the Raiders from New Orleans, I know Eric was there uh, as well. And yep. um, you know, unfortunately, and, and God rest his soul. But I would like to talk to you about your memories of, of Eric Turner. He's a very close family friend. Uh, and, and would love to, to get your thoughts on, on playing with, with Eric. Uh, that's a conversation for a different time, but I can't wait to have oh, it with you, man. Sure. Thank, yeah, yeah, thank yeah, you so much for spending some time, time man. I, I just, I, he was uh, tremendous on and off the field, just a, just, a great, uh, just a great teammate, and would love to do that. Absolutely. A tragedy, just out of the blue, just yes. complete tragedy. Yes. So, um, yeah, Matt, thank sure. you so much uh, for spending some time with us. I will catch up with you down the road, uh, but I appreciate it, and, and uh, be well, my brother. You too, my man. Take care, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. That's Eric Allen, former uh, NFL great uh, cornerback, played for the Raiders, uh, just one of the best to ever do it, to be honest with you, uh, and obviously knows what he's talking about when it comes to that secondary and how all these pieces uh, might fit here. Um, and, and I think the, the, what, what's, what's really promising about this young Raiders secondary, there's, there's things that now make sense about this secondary. I think it was one of those things that you know the, the Raiders sort of had to – put on hold to really address it the way they wanted to address it. I think they've chipped away at that uh, this past offseason. They have some depth. They have some veteran uh, players in there. They've got a great youngster in Trevon Morig. They brought in a great versatile player in Casey Hayward who knows the system and is going to be able to to take that to the field with them uh, beyond what the coach can just do and the coaches can just do. I think that this thing is moving in the right direction. Obviously, it has to happen on the grass, uh, but you have to first make the moves. You have to first get the players before you can get to that point. It sure looks like the Raiders have done that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks to Eric Allen, um, dropping some real uh, knowledge and insight on that young Raiders secondary. And, and you know, he, there's so much to unpack there. Um, and I agree with him on, on everything he was talking about. Um, the willingness and really the foresight and almost the confidence in yourself, really, to understand that you don't have all the answers and to be open to teaching is so critical and not everyone is. And this isn't a generational thing whatsoever. This is... This is uh, the, 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 the test of time, it's withstood the test of time. Some people are just more open, more understanding of the importance of teaching, more willing to listen, more willing to implement and to take advice. Not everybody does it, not everybody does it well. Uh, but when you're a young player, it's such a critical component. And... It's just imperative. And the fact that there are players that really aren't willing to listen, man, they're just doing themselves such a disservice. They're just doing themselves such – and now you could get to a point in your career, and I, I, I tell this story. Uh, I think I've told this story, but you know, years ago, uh, Ronnie Lott gets traded to the New York Jets or signs with the New York Jets. Pete Carroll was the head coach at the time. And um, he had an assistant by the name of Pat Kerwin. Um, Pat Kerwin does a great job 
on NFL radio um, and, and really respect him. He's just a tremendous football-minded. But Pat Kerwin tells this story about how Ronnie Lott is now a member of the New York Jets, and they're trying to get him up to speed um, with what they do defensively. Pete Carroll, obviously, is a defensive guru. So Pete Carroll you know, has him out on the field and is telling him, look, if you see the tight end lined up you know, here and the slot wider, you know, what, he's giving him some schematic alignment of the offense, and he says, if you see that offensively, if you see that lineup, an alignment, this is where I need you to be, like right, you know, and, and he's pointing to an area of the field. And Ronnie Lott says, Coach, I can't make any promises that I'm always going to be there. And the conversation stops, and Pete Carroll looks at Ronnie Lott and says, what do you mean, why not? And Ronnie Lott says to him, Coach, sometimes I see things happen on the football field, and I just go make the play. And, and, and Pete Carroll, as smart as he was, knowing that he's talking to Ronnie Lott, said, you know what? You just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Don't worry about what I just said. So there was a, obviously an understanding from the head coach's perspective, like, hey, sometimes you got to let the artist be the artist. Okay, but that's Ronnie Lutt after years of doing it and playing and understanding and figuring that out. When you're a young player, and I brought up to Eric Allen, uh, you know, the, the Michael Oluwakande uh, story, here's a guy that, you know, was, was very raw basketball player. He was the first pick overall because he had all the attributes that you need. But here's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar teaching you the, the, arguably the greatest center of all time, maybe even the greatest player of all time. There's, there's you know, Kareem, when you look back at what he did, you know, from, from high school to college to the NBA, um, he, he's won just as many champions as Michael Ch Jordan, I'll tell you that right now. But anyway, here's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who didn't need to be doing this. I mean, he had all the money that he ever wanted, all the stature that he ever wanted. He decided, I'm going to try to help some of these younger players, specifically centers. And he's trying to teach Michael Oluwakande some tricks of the trade. And guess what? Michael Oluwakande was closed-minded and didn't want to hear it and refused to heed Kareem's advice. I don't want to... I can't remember how many years Michael Oluwakande played in the NBA, but the fact that a bunch of my listeners probably don't know who the heck Michael Oluwakande is speaks for itself and speaks for the arrogance that he approached the situation with. Don't be like that. And, and, and Eric Allen is 1,000% correct with this young secondary. You, you know, Ron Milas, you know, it's a combination. His success is a combination of what he does, but also obviously. Vinny, can I add something? Yes, go ahead. Michael Lewicandy played about eight years, retired in 2007, or no one wanted to pick him up after 2007. But $37 yeah, million dollars in salary. Yeah. Legend yeah, at the bank. No, Boom. You know, back in those days, when you were the first pick, you were getting paid big time. That's just the way the salary structure worked. But what was what what, what was his high point of his career? We're looking at twelve and nine in 12 and for the for the Clippers. That was the high point. Those are some one solid pick. numbers. He parlayed yeah. that into a contract with the Timberwolves. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, I remember uh -huh. that. see, yep, he had that yeah. one good season contract year. Put up about a good twelve and <laughs> ten. One. Boom. Right. And fell off the face of the earth. He went, went back to, to, but you know, and and he he seemed like a, a, a he was a, he was I think he was from England, right? He was uh, I don't think I think he was from 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 England, and you know he was he was super smart and articulate and and all of that, but he was just closed minded to the process. And I wonder if you would talk to him now. I mean, I know he made money, but thirty seven million dollars 
is basically what you know uh, uh, LeBron James makes in a year now. He left a lot of money on the table, and $37 million, relatively speaking, is a lot of money. But if he was who he was supposed to be as the first pick overall, he would have tripled that easily, and maybe even more so. Um, you know, uh, but he didn't. He was close-minded to it, and 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 it cost him. And you and and that's the thing. Like like you know, guys like Damon Arnett and and Jonathan Abram and you know Trayvon Mullen. And by all accounts, these guys are are they want it? They want to be successful. They want to be good at what they do. I just hope. And there's no reason. I'm not saying that. I'm not giving any you know inside uh, knowledge of. That, that, that they're averse to it. I don't think that that's the case, but I just hope that they are open uh, to, to the new teaching that's uh, going to be available to them and, and heed it. Because I'll tell you this, everybody's job is dependent on everybody doing their job, right? You know, Ron Milas, his, um, his, his employment is based on results. And a player's employment is based on results. So everyone, you would think that everyone would understand, like every, we all have each other's back here, uh, let's work on this together, but sometimes there's a, a closed-mindedness to it, and those are the players that generally don't stick around, um, you know, very long. So it will be interesting to see that dynamic and what Ron Miles and, and Gus Bradley is going to be able to, going to be able to bring. But I'll, I'll say this, just to kind of piggyback off of that, just a little bit, you know, when when coaches and general managers talk about high-character guys and, and and guys that want it and guys that check off all the boxes as good human beings, you're thinking along those lines too. Um, like who's going to be open-minded? Who's going to put the work in? Who's going to uh, heed the advice and listen to the teachers and, and apply it and take it to the next level? That all is uh, reflected in somebody's character, all right? And, uh, and I'll, I'll also say this. One of the things that makes a guy like Ron Miles, and I'm sure Gus Bradley, and Richard Smith and, and Rod Marinelli successful is that they don't just take a big club and clobber you over the head with information. They know how to teach. Teaching is so important uh, as it relates to coaching. What is coaching? It's teaching. You know, uh, first and foremost, it's teaching. You got to get a guy. You have to get up in front of on a chalkboard and 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 you know uh, write out responsibilities and what you got to do on a play and techniques and fundamentals. It's all teaching. But the good ones understand that there's multiple ways that people digest information. Not everybody gets it when you go up on the chalkboard. Not everybody gets it just watching it on video. Not everyone gets it by just reading it. Some guys get it right off the chalkboard and they can go on the grass and apply it immediately. Some guys can see it on video uh, and then go on the grass and, and um, uh, you know execute it immediately. Other guys need to be shown on the field. I forget all the terms of what kind of learning um, each category is, but there are terms for it. Teachers understand what it is. There's visual, you know, uh, vocal, I'm sure. I'm, there's all kinds of fancy terms uh, with it. I'm not smart enough to know what they all are. But there's various different ways of, of, of teaching. I remember talking to uh, the, the Rams secondary coach, and uh, he would tell me that, you know, what, what gets frustrating sometimes is trying to tell the other guys that are able to get it maybe in the, in the classroom quicker that, hey, you're going to have to bear with me because when we get on the field, there's guys that didn't get it in that um, environment. And now I got to probably repeat myself a couple times out here on the field 
what, we, what I just told you in the classroom, but don't zone out on me and don't get mad because it's for the benefit of your teammate. And at the end of the day, it's incumbent on all of us getting it. However it is that these players digest it or students digest the information, you gotta make sure that you check off all of the boxes and do everybody right. And that means multiple ways of teaching and it also means a guy that already has it lock down because he was able to grasp it on the, um, you know, on, on the chalkboard or watching it on video. He has to, when they get out on the field, be patient enough to let the coach make sure that the other guy who doesn't learn that way or, or absorb information best that way to, to, to be able to teach him in a way that he is going to absorb it. Listen, um, I think it was Charlie Weiss was talking about how former coach at Notre Dame, and he was talking about teaching in the NFL. And when you think about it in the NFL, you're teaching guys who uh, are, are on a range of Marcellus Wiley, who went to Columbia University, to somebody else who went to West Texas Southwest State, you know? And it's not about intelligence or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that, although I'm sure, you know, like... I'm not as smart as Marcellus Wiley. You know, he's an Ivy uh, school educated, um, you know, uh, and, and I didn't get that kind of an education. So I'm not saying he's smarter than I am or whatever the case might be, but maybe our learning skills are a little bit different. Maybe I don't absorb information as quickly as somebody like he does. Um, and as a coach, you have to understand that. You just have to understand that you're teaching a wide variety of educational backgrounds and everybody, again, is a little bit different in how they absorb uh, the information. And so that's what good teachers do. That's what a Ron Milas is known uh, to do. And, and, you know, obviously a, a Gus Bradley and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but of course, first and foremost, you got to get good players. And I think that when we look at this NFL draft, and we're not going to know really until a couple of years down the line. In some cases, it'll be earlier than that. You know, if Trevon Morig gets out there um, early on, which we all expect that to happen, and excels early on, uh, which based on the talent um, and the maturity, uh, it looks like he's in a good position health-wise. You know, hopefully that all works out for him. He's going to have an impact pretty early on. Not everyone's going to fit into that category. You don't need everybody to have that dramatic impact right away. There's, there's, there's some players that are going to be on a, a, a little bit of a slower development prospect or, uh, or, or path, maybe because the, the way the numbers line up in their position, um, you know, you're not going to get a chance to unseat Corey Littleton. Corey Littleton's going to start, right? And, and the hope in Raider Nation is that he's going to be back to being Corey Littleton. That probably means that a divine Diablo, who might eventually be uh, the starting will linebacker here with the Raiders down the line, he's going to have to bide his time a little bit. Uh, but for those, and, and that doesn't mean he's not a good player. It means that he's got maybe a better player, more experienced player in front of him. You kind of want that anyway. You don't want to have to just rush rookies into it um, right away. You want to be able to be in a position where you can develop players. We talk about this all the time. You know, when I was covering the Rams, and this is what successful teams do, you always have, there's, there's various paths that are going on. You got 53 different players on, at any given time in, in, your, in your locker room, and every one of them might be on a little bit of a different path than the other guy. There's some guys that are going into the last year of the contract. There's some guys that are going into the first year of a big free agent contract. 
uh, that are three years in and ready to make their mark. Um, there's other guys that are practice squad players. There's guys that are, you know, undrafted free agents or seventh round picks that are just kind of chipping away at finding their way and making their mark in the NFL. It doesn't mean that they won't make their mark. Uh, it just sometimes means that their trajectory, their path, uh, is going to take a little bit longer than other players' paths. And uh, it's always great when you see the guys that are on the slower path eventually make their mark. Uh, and we'll see. Maybe Andre James fits that bill this year. He's been kind of quietly going about it in the lab these last couple of years. Nobody's been paying much attention to an Andre James. That's why everyone's like, Andre James? The starting center for the for the Raiders? Yeah, you didn't see him. That doesn't, that's not a bad thing. He was, he was in the lab uh, behind the scenes putting in the work. Now the Raiders believe that he's ready to be put out there on center stage, and uh, we'll see if he's ready to respond. It's always pretty cool when guys like that actually do because they work hard, they don't get discouraged, they don't put their head down, they understand the big picture uh, of it. They're listening, they're learning, they're, they're redoing their body. All, they're they're do, taking all the necessary steps to be able to be in a position when they do get their chance to seize it. We'll see if Andre James... Uh, seizes it, but he's worked his way to this point, and that's usually telling. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajara. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What is good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Um, you know, we've been talking about uh, Trevon Morig, uh, the young safety from TCU. And, um, you know, full disclosure, um, my only interaction with him thus far has been a couple of questions that I, that I was able to ask on Zoom. Um, that's going to change uh, once buildings start opening up and can start to get to know guys uh, in the locker room, talk to them, you know, kind of get a better feel for them. Uh, that that element was really missing last year due to COVID-19, us being able to get into the building. I know that we could be a nuance sometimes, uh, but for the most part, I think players understand, um, you know, where what everybody's role in the whole game, you know, uh, so to speak. And, and, and for the most part, uh, they get it, and they've been dealing with it since high school. They've been dealing with the media since high school. But it, but it is uh, beneficial uh, to get to know guys, um, not just from a football perspective, but you know you you learn about their families and pack stories and and whatnot. Um, so the um, the interaction with Trevon was very minimal. Uh, um, Friday night, I think it was, when we were able to talk to him uh, after being drafted. But there's certain guys. Uh, that truly do, you feel a presence about him, and I immediately felt that uh, about about Morig. Uh, felt kind of the same. There was actually a couple of guys in the, in this class. Uh, I liked Leatherwood's responses. Uh, he didn't give a flying flip, you know, what what the, the media or analysts thought about him. Nor should he. Who cares? At the end of the day, uh, go out there and do your job. Um, really like Divine uh, Diablo. I love the chip. Uh, that that uh, Nate Hobbs had uh, on his shoulder, uh, the young cornerback um, from Illinois. There's something about him that sort of jumps out at you. I'll be interested to see where his career goes. But 
in Morig's case, um, there was an intelligence, there was a presence, there was, a, you know, you could tell that he's eager to be a leader. Uh, and, and, you know, you hear people talk to him about him uh, over at TCU. There's a lot of good people that work over at TCU. Um, and, and, you know, how they praise him for that leadership uh, skills. And, and we talked about this yesterday. It doesn't appear to be one of those kind of brash, you know, I'm in charge, you're going to follow and clobber people over their head with it. Uh, that sometimes works, but oftentimes guys just roll their eyes at it and like, okay, whatever, you know. Um, it's the leaders that can, there's a difference between making somebody do something and getting guys to do something, right? Um, generally, there's going to be some resentment toward the making you do something or being that kind of a leader where you, where, where you feel like it's being forced and it's not happening organically. Again, people that make others do things and guys and that leaders that get people to do stuff. There's a huge difference in those two uh, different dynamics. And you f I feel like Trevon is going to be one of the gets guys to follow along. And I, I just really get that sense. And it was interesting talking to him about that leadership um, responsibility and his willingness uh, to, to, to be that leader. And, and here's Trevon talking about uh, taking on a leadership role. For sure. Um, like I said before, coming from TCU, I was a quarterback of the defense. So I feel like, you know, I'm really confident um, coming in and, and taking that leadership role, um, commanding the defense, um, taking the reins and, and just leading. Uh, I'm super comfortable with that, um, confident with it, and, and I'm just excited to get started. Uh, that's new Raiders safety Trevon Morick, who by all accounts, um, especially after the release of, of Jeff, Jeff Heath, uh, by all accounts, he's going to be the starting free safety or at least get um, a chance to show that he can't do it. Let's put it that way. I think that he's going to, and I think that he's going to be really good at it. Uh, but, I, but I like what he said about that leadership. And, and we, I don't care where you work, what you do, uh, what your livelihood is. Uh, if you work with a group of people, and generally speaking, we all do to some extent, there's just people that are willing to be leaders, that are good leaders. There's, there's some people that just want to take it. Um, and you kind of like, mm, roll your eyes a little bit at that because you feel that it's forced. There's some people that don't want any part of it. It doesn't make them um, you know, any less or anything like that. That's, it's just not their thing. And they, they don't necessarily want to be the leader. And, um, and, and so not everyone in the room is going to be that leader or even want to be that leader. It's the ones that it happens with organically. And, and f the, the, the most successful ones accept it, want it, but also know how to, uh, you know, yield that power and wield it and, and use it. And you don't do it in a way that's obtrusive. You don't do it uh, in a way that's, you know, um, um, you know, just, just, just for, you know, making other guys look at you like, dude, you know, uh, I hear what you're saying enough, you know, there, there, and there are, there are cases of that where it's just too much. You talk too much. You're, you're trying to force your way into this. It's the good ones that it, that it comes out naturally. But you also have to be willing to do it and want to do it. And you listen to Trevon Morig, and that was his role at TCU. I almost think it's going to be fairly seamless here with the Raiders. You're not talking about a full-on veteran, um, you know, laden secondary by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a very, very young secondary. 
And even with Jonathan Abram going into year three, I mean, this is really his second year as a full-time starter. So it's not like he's, you know, been around the block and then some. Uh, he's still kind of finding his way, and it's going to be a new role for him. Um, and I think he brings a physical presence back there, and I think he's, he's you know, a guy that uh, is going to do a lot of talking, um, and, and, and that's great. Uh, and, and I think, but I think Trevon Morg is more of that, you know, kind of a balanced kind of a guy, not too high, not too low, uh, kind of a leader that's going to be able to be that quarterback that the Raiders need in that secondary. Um, obviously, he's got to grasp it. He's got to understand it. Um, he's got to be about it in terms of the responsibility and the role and the, the playbook and knowing what, where he's supposed to be, uh, but also when you're the quarterback, knowing where everybody's supposed to be. Uh, but I, I just had this feeling that that's going to happen pretty quickly for him, and it probably helps, obviously, that he did that at TCU for an extended period of time. And when you talk to the people over at, at TCU, um, uh, the, the sentiment coming out uh, of, of, uh, of that campus and that program is that he's second to none in terms of being a quality human being and being a leader and being somebody that you feel good about giving that responsibility to and somebody who feels good about having that responsibility. And so it's going to be interesting to see um, his dynamic and, and, and what that means. And Eric Allen brought up what it's going to mean in terms of a role for Jonathan Abram, uh, you know, being able to, to kind of define himself a little bit more um, in, in a more narrow sense, rather than throwing so much on his plate, uh, this package, that package, here, there, you know, lining up everywhere where you can be a little bit more consistent in what you're asking him to do and, and, and expecting him to do. And I think that you're, as a result, um, you're probably going to see a better Jonathan Abram, a more efficient Jonathan Abram. Um, but it just, it's, it's really interesting to, to see all of this kind of play out right now and see the parts coming into place, uh, the pieces of the puzzles, the puzzle uh, that have been acquired. Now it's on the coaches to kind of put it all together. Um, and and I, I, I do believe there's talent there and there are pieces to play with. Uh, now I can't wait to see what Gus Bradley does with all those pieces and Ron Miles and Richard Smith and, and, and uh, Rod Marinelli and, of course, John Gruden over on the offense and his, and his coaches. Uh, just want to say thanks for spending Cinco de Mayo uh, with us. I want to say thanks to Eric Allen for all of his insight. Jesse Merrick, thank you. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Demond Cotton, uh, thanks so much for everything that you do at home base. Enjoy the rest of your night. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And by the way, uh, just a programming note, we're taking the day off on Friday, so no show on Friday. Uh, tomorrow is the last show of the week, and then we'll be back at it, obviously, next Monday, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. <laughs>